can turn your Bible to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. The whole theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. We saw that he was uh, better than the prophets in chapter 1 and better than the angels in chapter 1, even in chapter 2. We're not going to spend a lot of time in those verses today, but we are reminded that he is better than the angels there as well. And today we're going to see some of the reasons why he is better. If you remember last week, we looked at the idea of how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. The Israelites, they got to see a lot of miracles. They got to see God's activity and his presence, but they didn't have the whole picture, right? They didn't get to see the cross. They didn't get to see the empty tomb. But we have seen those things. We have seen the cross. We have seen the empty tomb. We know the story. We have seen the ramifications of it. We have seen the gospel go to the ends of the earth. We have seen what the power of the gospel can do to broken families and broken people. And that is our witness and our evidence. Because we have seen these things, we have to be mindful of the fact, how would we escape if we were to neglect something so wonderful as a salvation granted through Christ? Don't let those words leave you. Put them in your heart too. Today is a little more upbeat, a little more positive message. And what we want to focus on today is this truth that death has been destroyed, destroying death. So let's look in Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 18. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. King James says, Here for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. If you're a highlighter, you may want to highlight that last verse there. <laughs> that is a precious, precious verse. All right, let's talk about death a little this morning. How do you feel about death? Is it something that you just kind of deny and you push aside, we don't really talk about death, right? You probably talk more about death here at church than you really do probably about anywhere else, don't you, right? Do you think about death much? Does the fear of death drive some of your decision-making? How about when you're driving? Does the fear of death drive some of your decision-making? <laughs> some people maybe that you don't ride with because you have a fear of death, right? <laughs> okay. This morning, I want you to think a little bit about this. And again, it's not something that we talk a whole lot about, but are you afraid of death? I think a lot of us, it would depend on our life experiences that really where we're at in that question, isn't it, right? 
Um, I'd say right now, yeah, I probably am still afraid of death. I don't really want to die. I know that unless the Lord comes back, I will die. But I noticed that in my grandpa, I was able to spend a lot of time with my grandpa when I was a young person, and I got to see some stages of his life a little bit. And at the end, it's almost like the Lord had prepared him to where he was ready to go be with the Lord. And if he had a fear of death, he never, even a hint of it, did we see. We saw a longing for heaven. And I think that desire for heaven began to overcome that fear of death. Now, I think a lot of us, especially a lot of us when we're younger, a fear of death can drive a lot of our thinking, can it, right? That fear of, oh, no, if it's over, what has my life been worth? What, is, what have I done? And so today, what I want you to consider with me, and I, I'm not asking you to look forward to death. I'm not saying that. But what I want you to think about is, does your fear of death ever take away time from pursuing things that actually might be more important. Sometimes I think the devil would have us to fixate on things that we have no control over to prevent us from focusing on things where we can really make a difference. You hear that? I think that's how the devil works. A lot of times we fixate on things that we don't have any control over anyway. And one of those things can be a fear of death. And our mind gets so wrapped up in our worry and our concern about how are we going to make this something that we don't, can't even do anything about when we could be taking that energy and that life and using it for the Lord's kingdom. So today we have this incredible reminder that Jesus can free us from the slavery that the fear of death can sometimes bring. So if you're afraid of death today, here's the message. You don't have to be. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? That's the good news. If you're afraid of anything today, you don't have to be. Because probably the biggest thing that most people are afraid of is dying. And Jesus already did that. And he came through it. And he is alive right now. As evidence, as proof of the power of God. And this is the whole idea of us being believers today. If we believe in the work that Jesus did, we may physically die, but we will eternally live. The Lord beat it. And we're going to look at that this morning a little bit. Destroying the power of death. Look, if you would, down there again in verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So what we see here is what Jesus did to, to beat back death for us. It's he decided that he would have to show us who God is, right? Everybody remember John chapter 1? In the beginning was the word, right? In the beginning was the word. This word of God is Jesus. What do words do? Words are a way for us to express what we're thinking in here and get it out and share it and communicate it so somebody else can understand what we're thinking, right? If it weren't for Jesus, could we understand God at all? And so what we see here is Jesus became one of us. He became human. One reason is so that he could express to us who God is. Without Jesus, we wouldn't know. But there's a couple other reasons that we're going to see today that the reason that Jesus became human. He becomes flesh, and again, that's what we sing today, right? Emmanuel, God with us, right? 
God becomes flesh, and he does this for our benefit. And one of the other things that he does it for is that we would know that he understands us. This is from Bryson Smith. All this is interesting. He says, I once read an article about all the movie uh, stand-ins. They're the people who replace movie stars in scenes that are dangerous or just uncomfortable. Like Glenn Duhigg, an ex-lawyer who worked as a stand-in for Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 2, Duhigg recalls this. He says, it sounds very glamorous saying that you're the stand-in for Tom Cruise, but I don't think many people realize the long hours and the constant demands that deflate your ego very quickly. The days are long, and whatever scene Tom was in, I would be the one standing there, being him sometime for ages as the crew set up the shot, getting the light just right and the props just so. I'd be standing there for hours, out in the weather, getting drenched in the rain or sunstroke out in the heat. And then Tom would just walk in on the set from his air-conditioned caravan or out of his beautiful sports car once the scene was ready. As one of the other stand-ins said, I realized very quickly the difference between being a star and being a (laughs) stand-in. But you see, he says, Smith, on the cross, Jesus was our stand-in. He endured the discomfort, the pain, the punishment from God, all in our place. He accepted God's anger on himself instead of us. He was our stand-in. Amazing that he would do that because, really, he's the important one. You wouldn't expect Tom Cruise to stand in for that bloke, Glenn Duhigg, no. Tom's the important one, and yet, even though Jesus is the most important one, a divine king come to earth, he stood in for us. He became flesh and blood. One of the things we can celebrate this season is that our God is not distant, he's not far away, he's not someone who has no care about the creation that he's made, but that he became flesh and blood so that he would understand more, that we would understand that he understands us. So he does this to show us a way through death. Again today, if you're afraid, I want to remind you that there's a path through death. There's a way out of the tomb. And this affects a lot of things in our lives, doesn't it, right? Many of us here today have probably had a loved one, someone we cared very much for, who has gone on. And that can really break our hearts. But there is a way through death. The Lord tarries. Everybody in this room is going to experience some grief, aren't they? People that we care about, people that we love, we're going to be separated, and there's going to be a time where this earthly life is going to end. But again, I want to remind you, there is a way through death. And Jesus shows us that way. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. He didn't become an angel. Did you catch that? The author of Hebrews says. God didn't become an angel. God became a human being. And I, the more I thought about it, I thought it was kind of interesting because, uh, I, and you guys bear with me on this, this is some technology, but it would appear that angels do not fear death because angels do not die. What would your life be if you didn't die? Would you have retirement? Huh. You wouldn't have to have some sort of income investment thing or some uh, medical health care plan. What if you didn't age? What if you didn't die? It's amazing how many of our decisions are really driven by this fact that this is a finite time and we know that We're going to get older, and then we're going to pass away. 
Angels would not face that. Jesus didn't become an angel. He became one of us. Because of sin, unfortunately, death is something that all humans must face. Now, again, bear with me here, but when the Lord made us, he made us without sin. And so that time that we talked about this morning, the Advent, when he comes again and all things are made right, then there will be an eternal state, right? Just like that new body that Jesus has, it doesn't wear out, and our new body won't need it. That's a promise that we have. All right, look at this here this morning. Through the death of Jesus, death no longer will have a hold on the believer. This is the essence of the good news. Again, today, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be tied to this fact that you're going to die. You're going to die, but you're going to live. Amen? You're going to live. And not kind of live. And not just like barely live, right? Your preacher, can I whine at you for a second here? This is the, the wonderful thing of being able to be up here and speak, right? You can share all of your issues, okay? So after years and years of picking up thousands of iPads, um, Sensel's been working with me a little bit, but I have this really weird, kind of like a tennis elbow type thing going on in this arm. And so yesterday, Mrs. Penn was out, and so Brooklyn and I were trying to move this great big old desk out of the living room, so we had a place for the Christmas tree. And I'm lifting and pulling, and last night, like, this arm just will not do what it's supposed to do. <laughs> right? And so to really live, I would love to go and to throw and to shoot and to play, but it's not going to be much longer, and I can already tell you that this is going to get really hard. But there's coming a day when the body that is made is going to be completely, perfectly fit for the place that it inhabits, and it won't be any problems with throwing or running or swinging or lifting or playing. Amen? That is the hope. We don't talk about this enough, right? Especially with our older folks. We need to be reminding each other of this truth. This is only temporary. This is a quick little time. <laughs> There's a big time coming where everything is made right, and Jesus, through his death, has made those things Jesus' death and his resurrection, they light the way for those of us who believe. Now, a reminder here, and this is another truth, another reason why Jesus became flesh and blood, his death is the payment for our sin. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. His resurrection is a proof of his power over death and the hope of resurrection for us. It'd be one thing for a person to say, hey, I've got the answer. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you hope. That all sounds good. Prove it. I have a way to say that you're going to be able to conquer death. Well, that's a great thing that you would say and share. Mohammed might try to say something like that. Buddha might try to say something like that. Uh, some other famous teachers might tell us through the ages the ways to beat death. <laughs> There's only one person I know that beat it. And his name is Jesus. And again, he lights the way. So the scripture is very clear. Not only is he destroying death, but he's destroying the devil who has the power over death. This devil has been granted the power of death by God. God has allowed him to have this time, this control for a temporary time. And the devil loves to use the fear of death to paralyze us and to enslave us. But our reminder today is Jesus has destroyed death, and by doing that, he has destroyed the power of the devil, the power of the evil one. D.L. Moody says this, a great quote. My friends, this is a good reminder for all of us. You are no match for Satan. Stop right there for a second. You are no match for the devil. The devil is smarter than you. He's sharper than you. He's way more experienced than you. He's more powerful than you. 
he has power of death and he can actually bring afflictions upon you. You are no match for the devil. And when he wants to fight you, what should you do? Well, just run to your elder brother who is more than a match for all the devils. Isn't that good? Right? You guys seen it? I love watch David and Jacob because they can go at each other really hard. But if you have somebody else from the outside go after one of those boys, look out. Because they will defend each other because their love for each other is strong. This is a reminder of truth for us that our elder brother is the Lord Jesus Christ. They will even say so in this passage of Hebrews chapter 2. And we are no match for the devil. But when we run to him, he can conquer anything that the devil would do. All right, let's look briefly at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. The same truth, this idea that death is destroyed, that you can put in your heart even today, because you're going to face this fear either for yourself or for people that you love in the future. And I want to remind you that the Lord has already beat it. And let it be placed there in your heart that when you need it, you can pull it out and find comfort. Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He, that being Jesus, has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It's not because of something special in us, but because of his purposes and his love for us. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has done what? Destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You guys, this is the core of the gospel. Don't let anybody at your workplace or anybody in your family or anybody in your neighborhood deny this truth. What we're talking about here is that this is not it. You don't go to 95 and pass away and that's the end of your existence. We're talking about life and life and immortality and it comes through Jesus and that's why we need to go and tell it on the mountain. We need to sing it out. We need to live it out. We need to share it out. This is the message that people need to hear. That Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life through Through his humanity, the Lord freed the captives, those who were afraid of death. He removed the fear. He doesn't just destroy death, but he brings life. Are you catching that? All right. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but God doesn't want us stuck in a grieving process. We need to grieve. God built us to grieve. But abundant life is what has been bought, and if we will pursue Jesus, life is the gift we will find. So again, I ask you this morning, we said it all through our warrior series, are you really living? Every man dies, but not every man really lives. What's your routine? Again, you should, I shouldn't share these things, but your preacher, as he gets older, he has these same routines, and he begins to notice that's like, these days are just going faster and faster and faster. And it's another night that I fall asleep on the couch. Another night I get up and go get in the bed. Another night I get up in the morning and I have a cup of coffee and I do the same thing. And so what we kind of find ourselves doing is, well, can I just extend my days? Right? Well, maybe if I eat a little bit. You guys, I think I put on five, seven pounds of Thanksgiving. <laughs> I ate so much cake. So yesterday I told Wendy, okay, I'm going to be really good. So yesterday for one day I was really good. I did lose two pounds. That's not bad in the day, right? What? What am I doing? 
I'm trying to extend my days, right? Well, maybe if I do some more sit-ups this morning, a few more push-ups or a little more curls, I'm gonna extend my days, right? Maybe if I go for a walk or a run, I'm gonna extend my days. And I'm gonna tell you today, if your life is just about extending your days, you are not really living. Did you catch that? That was good. Not from me, from the Lord. (laughs) If you are just trying to extend your days, you are not really living. To really live is to be caught up in what the Lord has called us, apprehended us to be. Then those are the good days, right? When these little kids come and they sing and they share the gospel, and when I'm in my class and they're learning and growing and thinking and laughing and being ornery sometimes, those are the good days. When we come together on a Wednesday night and we share a meal and we cry together and we laugh together and we sit around the word of God together and we really seek the Lord together, that is really good. And most of all, when someone who was broken and lost and hurt and full of sin and shame finds out that Jesus destroyed that and they repent of their sins and they give their heart to him and they get baptized and they give their life to God. That is really living. You guys, don't just extend your days, okay? Jesus has destroyed death and not only that, he has brought abundant life. But we have to receive it and we have to pursue it. Again, I ask you this morning, are you really living? Well, let me give you a comfort here, and we'll hit the same thing again in a couple weeks. Look down at verse 16. Help for the tempted. Anybody here been tempted? Probably some of us have been tempted this morning, right? For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers, again, that elder brother, we saw that a moment ago, in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement, or if you will, propitiation for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Again, the reminder is here that Jesus saves the children of Abraham, not the angels, but the children of faith. Not just the people of Israel, but the children of faith. Those who would believe the Lord saves them. He became one of us so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest, right? What did the, the high priest do? Was he one of the people? Yes, he was, wasn't he, right? And he went into that holy place, and then he went a little further in once a year to the Holy of Holies. You remember he had that belt on, the rope, and he had the bell. <laughs> and the reason was because if God struck him dead in the holiest of holies, they could drag his body out What happened to go in there that high priest would go in and when he would get inside there he would take the the blood of the bulls or the blood of the goats and there would be a mercy seat a big the ark of the covenant if you guys are familiar with that with the angels and the seraphim and they would sprinkle the blood on top of that ark as a symbol that the blood was covering the people's sins from one year to the next year well jesus became one of us so that he could be our high priest he went into that holiest, most holy place where God said sin must be punished. And Jesus shed his own blood. So not only was he the priest, but he was the sacrifice. And his blood covers over that sin, not just once a year, but for all eternity. Right? That's the best news ever, right? Your sins, your mistakes, your failures, guess what? Give them to God. They're covered in Christ. 
If you would believe and have faith in that, they're as far as the east is from the west. They're on the bottom of the ocean floor, is what the scripture says. Praise the Lord. Jesus went into the temple spiritually on our behalf. He is a faithful high priest. And we're going to hit this up over and over the book of Hebrews, so I don't want to spend a ton of time here today. But you're going to see this picture over and over. The King James this morning had the word reconciliation there in verse 17. The NIV here has the word atonement. But very literally, the idea of this word is propitiation. So I want to remind you again, as I have many times before, that propitiation is a two-way street. What do you owe God? When God made Adam and Eve, he made them perfect. And he expected them to stay that way. And they sinned. And so when they sinned, they broke that perfection. And God demanded perfection. He still demands of us. Can any of us have perfection? We don't even get it. We don't even get a chance at it, do we, right? We're born in sin. So we don't even get a shot at it. We're already behind eight ball. You owe God a perfect life. So we're already in trouble there. Or you have a, a second option. You can pay for the penalty of your sin. And probably most of us are like, yeah, I'd rather not do that, right? Okay. There is that physical penalty that we do call death, but there is a spiritual penalty that we call hell. That is the payment for sin. That's your choice. You've got a perfect life, which is too late. You can't do that now. Or you can pay him with the penalty for sin. And this is not penology. This is what Scripture teaches. All right? Two choices. Now, Jesus comes on the scene because of God's love for us, and he does both things. Did you catch that? Not one of them. He does them both. Propitiation. Sometimes maybe you've seen some old movies where they would go and they might offer this young woman on a volcano to propitiate the gods, right? That picture, right? It's supposed to appease the gods' wrath whenever they make this sacrifice, okay? That's kind of the word that sometimes we think of propitiation. But Jesus here, he appeases God's wrath, not because God is looking for some sacrificial lamb per se, but because sin must be punished. And so Jesus offers himself. He dies the death that we should die. He dies in our place. So the hell that we're supposed to pay, Jesus takes that on the cross. Am I tracking with that? This is important. This is foundational to our belief. Some people don't believe in a substitutionary atonement. They think that Jesus' death on the cross is just a good example about being a servant and loving your fellow man. But that is not what the scripture teaches the scripture teaches that God demanded that sin be paid for. And Jesus, he steps in and he pays that penalty, that hell. He pays it with his eternal being. And, and, and so we can see it. It's displayed in one of the most horrific ways of all. Right? They mock him. They have him in a chair in the trial. They have this kind of a joke of the trial. They bring out liars to tell stories about him to call him a blasphemer. They punch him. They pull on his beard. They beat him. They spit in his face. They get a crown of thorns and they stick it on his head and they hit the crown of thorns. And the blood flows from his head and from where he's been beaten. And then they lead him out. They flog him with a cat of nine tails. Usually that was 39 different lashes. They would lay that person on a post and they would throw that whip over their back and they would rip it up and it would rip the flesh of their back off of their back. 
that's what they did to Jesus. Then they said, carry your cross. He could go so far, and then he couldn't even carry his cross. If it wasn't enough, they laid him out, and they put his feet and his hands on this tree, and they drove nails in his feet and his hands, and they placed him up for all the world to see. Why did God allow his son to go through such a horrific thing so that we could see he was pain, our a good, good father and a good, good savior. He paid our penalty. Now that's not the end of the story. Jesus in his life, did he? was he ever tempted? It's kind of an interesting thing. How can a person who cannot sin be tempted? You answer that one later. We'll talk about that one. <laughs> All right? But he was tempted, and yet he never sinned, did he? All right? He lived the perfect life. Well, here's the promise of the scripture. This is the idea of propitiation, that those who would trust in him not only get their hell paid for, but the perfect life that Jesus lived, they get attributed to his account. Right? So my balance goes from being all the way in the negative to now I'm completely rich because I get what the Lord did for all of us by living a perfect life attributed to me. That is this propitiation, this ideal of reconciliation. So today I want to remind you of this and we'll wrap up with this thought and we're going to hit it again in chapter 4 because it's so good. Jesus knows what you're going through. Do you believe that? I don't think you do. No, Jesus is God. He can't understand what it is to be sick or sad or to be frustrated or tired or not sure if your body's going to work right or if you're going to be loved or if your spouse or your friend's going to be true to you. Jesus, he doesn't understand those things. Let me read this to you from McLaren. It's a really good point. He says, this is the great lesson and blessed thought of our text that no suffering soul, no harassed heart, no lonely life has ever been able to say, oh, I have to bear this by myself. For Jesus Christ never knew anything like this. All the pain and sorrow of adverse circumstances that try some of us, he knows who had not where to lay his head, who was a poor man all his days, to whom the women had to minister of their charity and who depended upon others for his sustenance in life and for ceremonies and a grave in death. The sorrows that belong to a physical frame overwrought and crushed by excessive toil, the sorrows of weakness, of sickness, the pains of death, he understands them all. The sorrows that come from our relations to our fellows, whether they be the hopeless, quiet tears that fall forever upon broken affections and lost loves, or whether they be the bitter griefs that come from unrequited affections and unappreciated aims and benefits flung back and hearts tortured by ingratitude, he knows them all. He became one of us. The next time your heart gets broken, remember, you're not by yourself. Amen? (laughs) Have you ever loved out to somebody and showed them love and they gave you nothing in return? Does Jesus know that? You ever counted on somebody to follow through and do something for you and they failed you? Does Jesus know that? Better believe he does. How about a weak body that won't do what you want it to do? (laughs) 
Does Jesus know that? He does. It just makes me want to drop and pray here today because when I think about anything that I'm facing or going through or tempted or hurt, the Lord already knows it. And I can talk to him about it in a way that he already knows it better than I do and he can comfort me in my hurt, in my pain. And again, we read for us in verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is available to help the tempted. He knows, he understands, he is one of us. Where do you turn or who do you turn to in times of trouble? Many times we try to find somebody who has been through the same circumstances, but we forget to turn to Christ who knows how to help those who are being tempted. Remember, he cares. He is our flesh and blood. He is our high priest. He is our intercessor. The last quote this morning, a right reminder of that God will make all things right. He did destroy death. It's from Jeffrey Brown. When Robinson Crusoe's good man Friday asked him, well, why doesn't God destroy the devil? Robinson Crusoe gave him the right answer, the only answer, the great answer. He said, God will destroy him. Amen? You saw it here today. The one that holds power over death, Jesus, our conquering king will destroy Don't be afraid of death. And when you're hurt, and when you're broken, and when you're afraid, and when you're scared, come to the one who has already been through everything that you're going through. Let's stand this morning. Today, maybe you have some anxiety that's weighing you down. I don't know everybody's heart today, but I just want to encourage you. We're going to take some time to pray here in a minute, and I'm going to come play. And I hope that you'll know in this body of believers that, especially as tight-knit as we are, you can go reach out to somebody and just tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, will you come pray with me? And these people will come and pray with you. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be alone because the Lord has been through it, and you don't have to be alone even with uh, here in our human world because you have people here that will love you and will be by your side. But today, if there's just something that's really weighing you down, I would encourage you to come and pray. And then maybe today there's somebody that you're really concerned about. Lord is challenging you to think how can you love them, how can you serve them, how can you speak God's truth to them. And if you need to come today and pray for them, we encourage you to do that. You can do all this in your seat where you're sitting, but sometimes it just helps to come to the altar and to lay your burden and your hurt before the Lord. So let's take some time together today to pray for each other and to pray that God will be the comfort that we need.